0: Good morning, everybody, and uh, once again, I hope that you all had a chance to uh, get one of the Jesus DVDs that were in the doorway there. Uh, there's three separate movies there, the gospel, uh, uh, Mary Magdalene's story, and uh, uh, the story of Jesus for kids. That's been embellished a little bit, but the movie Jesus is right out of the book of Luke. And uh, last week, I talked a little bit about The Chosen. I, I suppose I offended a lot of people, but only 10 10% of the chosen is Bible. Now, we have to be very careful. If you know your Bible well, I don't have a problem with it. If you don't know your Bible very well, you begin to believe that 90% that is not Bible is Bible. And that's another gospel of Jesus Christ. And you got to be careful about that. You see, understand, it's a sitcom. It's Seinfeld. It's it's uh, Cheers. It's those things with 10% Bible added in. Now, I realize that it's better than watching probably 90% of the other things that are on TV or much higher ratio than that. But you got to be careful because it isn't truth that will hurt you. It's the lies that are mixed in with truth that will hurt you. In this series three of The Chosen... Uh, number eight, the cut number eight, they quote from the Book of Mormon, the Book of Nephi, Jesus said, I am the law. Jesus never said that He was the law. Now you say, why do you get upset over that? Because if Jesus is the law, that puts us all back under the law of Moses. And we're not under the law of Moses. We're under the new covenant in Christ Jesus through his blood. The Bible said, Jesus said, he was the fulfillment of the law, not the law. You say, well, what difference does it make? It makes all kinds of difference if you know your Bible. If you don't know your Bible, it doesn't make any difference. So that's why we have to be careful. It isn't the little things that really bother me about something. It's that that it sets a premise for the larger things. And the Bible says to earnestly contend for the faith. What does that mean? To earnestly contend for the faith. What does that mean? That means to know the truth, stand for the truth, and defend the truth. But if you don't know what the truth is, you can believe anything. That's why Jesus said, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Why does he say that? Because it's so important that we don't base our life off of ideas or thoughts or um, an artist's um, uh, interpretation or whatever. We need the word of God. This morning, as we've been going through the book of Acts, Last week, we talked about where we're in Acts chapter 11, verse 18. And they said, and they realized the Gentiles could be saved as well. Now think about that for a minute. You're halfway through the book of Acts before they realized Jesus was for everybody. I, I think that's pretty astounding myself. And here's why. Because when you realize that Jesus is for everybody, it's the whole heart of the gospel. It's what makes Christmas, Christmas. The ultimate gift to us lost and dying world. Now I know all of you, especially these last few weeks, have been thinking about the word gifts. What gifts, what should we get mom or dad or brother or sister? What gifts? And we think about gifts. Now, you know, it's really weird because I've asked my wife, I'm sure you've asked people you love, what do you want for Christmas? Have you heard them say, oh, nothing? I mean, I've had people say that. Now, now here's what really gets me when it comes to gifts. The value of a gift depends upon your need. If you're in the Mojave Desert, Your car breaks down and you get out and you start walking and you run out of water and your thirst is killing you and you know you're going to die. And somebody comes along and says, hey, I see you're in bad shape. Here's a bar of gold. Does it have any value? No, because you don't need a bar of gold. You need a cup of water. Your need determines the value of the gift. Now, here's a problem. If you don't know what you need, you won't know the value of a gift. Now, when someone says to you, what do you want for Christmas? And we go, oh, I don't know. Oh, okay, here's a lump of coal. Well, I I don't want that. Now, isn't that weird? Sometimes we don't know what we want, but we know what? What we don't want. Now, I think that to me is always an interesting perception. You know, something really interesting, a lot of people miss this in the Bible. But a couple of years after Jesus was born, the wise men show up. And as they show up, the Bible says they came to the house. They didn't come to the manger. Now, when you stop to think about that for a minute, and it says they presented their gifts Now, the way it's worded is that they presented their gifts to Jesus, but rather than Jesus opening the gifts, they opened the gifts for Jesus. I think it's interesting. Here's your gift. Let me open it. No, they, I want to open my present. You know, the kids, they have this thing called rip and tear on Christmas morning. I, I remember several years ago when my kids were were smaller than they are now. And I realized something very interesting. I gave my kids some gifts. And after about an hour, and we're, you know, drinking coffee and hot chocolate and all those kinds of things. I look in, and the kids are having more fun with the box than they were with the toy. And I think about that for a minute. What causes value in a person's life. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Acts as we continue to go through the Bible. Now, Christmas Eve, very short service. I know you guys have kids. I know you, it's just a time of coming together and doing these things. Next Sunday morning is Christmas morning. And so I want to be sure that, that, again, you understand that if you have friends and family that maybe never go to church, bring them here next Sunday morning. You say, well, Mike, it's so hard to tell my family about the Lord. You bring them here, I'll tell them, okay? And I'll give them a present too. I'll give them the movie Jesus as well. And once again, I want everybody to get that because it's such a good movie for everyone to see. And it's a great evangelistic tool. And so I'll, uh, if you didn't get one this morning, they're in a box going out the door of the church. Really great little DVD. And then uh, Christmas Eve, I'll give them out as well, as well as Christmas morning. And so I want everybody to have that gift because it's so important to know who Jesus is. Well, if you have your Bibles, chapter 11, let's pray. Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we ask you, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and show us the importance of your word and show us our great need for you. And so we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, cause us to have a hunger and thirst for you in Jesus name. Amen. Well, last week we left off right about verse 18. And when they heard these things, they became silent. They glorified God, saying, Then God also has granted to the Gentiles repentance. They finally realized Jesus was for everyone. But before that, we realize something else. The Bible here tells us, verse 17, If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us, speaking of Acts chapter 2, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, when we believed On the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God in letting the Gentiles come to Christ? Literally is what he was saying. The gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, God knows what you need. Do you know living, I believe, the Christian experience apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is probably nearly an impossible thing. Because you need, first of all, what the Holy Spirit will do. The Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, the manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit. But the greatest of these, verse chapter 13, is love. Love is what changes us. By their love, they'll know we're Christians. Now we're going to talk about that a little bit more here because this is the gift that God wants to give you. Now, some people say, well, do you need to be refreshed in the spirit or be refilled with the spirit? Yes. Somebody said, why? Because I leak. We all leak a little bit, don't we? And we don't always operate at 100%. But yet the Bible says to be instant in season and out of season. And so if I'm only hitting on four cylinders and I'm an eight cylinder engine, I know that I'm going to only be half as efficient as I would be as if I was going full on for God. So we have to continue to go back to that realignment of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, what is the number one thing? The greatest of all these is love. The Holy Spirit puts in us a supernatural love. And the reason I'm spending time on this, because if you don't get this, you won't understand the last part of the lesson today. Because there was a famine that came up, and because the famine was so great, that the other Christians, which were Gentiles, contributed to help a different race, With their needs. In fact, as far as I know, this is probably the first time ever in the history of man that one race helped another race. But that's what God does. You see, without God, his Holy Spirit working within us, we don't, maybe I should say we don't fully understand the need that's out there. We can become complacent in the blessings of God in our life and praise God for those blessings. We need those. But we want to be careful that we never get so complacent that we forget the needs of others. And so to have an eye to bless, help, and heal. By nature, that is not us. I've shared many times about how the Holy Spirit will move upon all of us at different places, different times, and God will just prompt us to say something to someone or do something for someone, and we don't really know why. That's the Holy Spirit inside of you. And that is not a normal part of all sin nature. That's why when Jesus said, you must be born again, we are born again, and we have a new nature generated by the Holy Spirit that God has placed in us. Not a normal occurrence, but normal for a believer. Because oftentimes, again, we'll say, well, that person's going to hell. Well, good. They deserve that. Well, that's not God. The Bible says he wants none to perish, but that all would have eternal life. Now, again, when we talk about the predestined ones, that's because God knows who ultimately choose him and who don't. But the invitation to the world to be saved, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. So the idea that God, well, I born you to send you to hell and I born you to send you to heaven. and You're ugly. You go to hell, but you're cute. You get to go. That is false doctrine. Comes in many different shapes and form. But the point is, our commission is to preach the gospel to every creature, Jesus said. That's the Great Commission. But how can I do that unless I have a love for the lost? What compels a person to give up the niceties of his home and his heat and cars and things that work to go minister in a jungle someplace, risking your life for people that maybe don't even care? That, friends, is God. That ain't something that normally happens. And so when you see something, and we've shared about this so many times, out of the ordinary, look for God. Well, when you have a supernatural love for people you don't know, a supernatural love for people that are lost, supernatural people that you can love for people where you can say, Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. As they're hammering the spikes through your hands and through your feet. You realize there's something more in this life than meets the eye. Well, now he says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. That's what they were doing because they didn't know what else to do. Now, again... When we realize what we just read, they just realized Jesus was for everybody. But there was a group of people that had already gone out after Stephen, the first martyr. They ran and they went to different parts of the world. Now, again, God, what oftentimes people think is a bad thing is good. That's why the Bible says to give thanks in all things, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. I had a guy one time tell me, well, I can thank God for the good things, but God doesn't expect you to thank God for the bad things. I go, well, that's weird because the Bible says all things. What does that mean? That means sometimes through the discomfort, God accomplishes his will in no other way. And sometimes, I hate to say this, But the way God motivates us is to make us uncomfortable where we're at. So we'll go be where he wants us to be. I remember I was sitting on the uh, 605 freeway. Going up to the 10, the San Bernardino freeway. And we were in bumper to bumper traffic. It was Friday afternoon. And it was evaluation day. And so it was about 2.30 in the afternoon. And uh, by then the freeways had turned to mud. Now this is down in Southern California. And I was on my way up to Arcadia. And I come up bumper to bumper. And it's everybody's honking and everybody's mad. We get into the office. And they pull me in the office. And the guy looks at me and he says, He says, you know, Mike, you're single. What motivates you to work? And I said, well, I'm trying to pay off my van. And he goes, how many more car payments do you have? And I said, two. And I said, I think that's about what my vacation pay would be. So if somebody here will give me a ride home, I quit. I became discomforted in where I was at. I had a job, a company car, all those kinds of things. But... Something just wasn't right. And I sat in traffic. I go, I don't want to live like this. And I came home. My mom I lived with my parents. And they said, what are you doing, honey? I said, I just quit. They quit your job. Yeah. I'm moving to Idaho. Now, I suppose all of you from California have your own weird, quirky story Maybe you were robbed at the gas station or, you know, something like that. And You say, I don't think I want to live here. I have found that God sometimes will create a discomfort so that he will accomplish what he wants to do. Give thanks in all things for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. I got to give thanks for God putting me on a freeway traffic jam in the middle of the afternoon, on a Friday afternoon. Yes, because that's where God spoke to me and says, you don't belong here anymore. And I look back at the picture of my life and those things that happen. And I realize the good, the bad, the ugly friends. I got to tell you something. God is bigger than anything you've ever done. God is bigger than anything anybody ever tried to do to you. That's the God you serve. When the persecution arose against Stephen and all the Christians were fearing for their life as they watched Stephen, the first martyr, being stoned to death, they scattered, running. But you know what? The Bible here tells us that it was effective. And here's what he says. And the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Now, it tells us here that they went about preaching in Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. We don't know who these people are. We'll find out who they are in heaven. But they were a group of people going out, preaching the gospel. And the Bible tells us that the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed. Verse 22. And the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came seeing the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them with the purpose of heart that they should continue in the Lord. Now again, friends, you encourage people. Wherever you're at, with people you know, with people you don't know, you're an encouragement. Again, Jesus Christ, in you, the hope of glory. You have to think about that for a minute. Because what other relationship do they see or what other co- point of contact do they have with God other than us? Now from, sometimes that's really embarrassing, isn't it? When we know that our attitude has not been pleasing to God or we have misrepresented God. I, when, I, I was, when I was in Hawaii, I went to this, it was kind of like, um, I don't want to say the voice, but it was kind of like a concert. And it was just booked different people. Well, it just so happened they booked a girl that was a Christian and her band. And I went there, and here all of a sudden, in the middle of this secular thing... You have a girl singing about the Lord, talking about the Lord. And I thought, how amazing. This is as good as any Christian concert I've ever been at. But I remember one of the lyrics in her songs. And one of the lyrics were, Lord, please never let me be an embarrassment to you. That was part of the lyrics in her song. And I thought about that for a minute because I think how different times we can let our guard down we can become angry we can say things or show an attitude that is not christ-like but you see one of the things that god does in his love is he reminds us if we offend and if we do the bible says go and ask for an apology go and apologize i should say to that person that we've offended offenses will come the bible says that I don't want to be the person by which those offenses come. And if I've offended anybody, I'm sorry. See, that's the thing we want to do. We don't want to say, well, you don't like it too bad. Because the minute myself, I pride enters in, you move away from the peace of God. Do you know why when we serve ourselves, we're not at peace? Because ourselves can never be pleased. We're to the point where we don't even know when someone says, what do you want for Christmas? I don't know. Well, I know what I don't want. But we do oftentimes don't know what we need because we don't fully understand what our need is. You see, unless you come to Christ, you don't understand the need that we have. And the need we have is him and less of us. Because when we walk in our flesh, we're serving something that can never be satisfied. No matter what it is. I, 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 I always go back to that very influential time in my life in the mid-60s. And uh, if some of you had the unusual experience of experiencing that firsthand, you know it was a very strange time. You had people out in the street Make love, not war. Beatles sang all you need is love and then they broke up and sued each other. You have, you have, uh, Mick Jagger singing, I can't get no satisfaction if I tried. I think he's still looking. And when we begin to really look at all that, we really realize how and what it does. See, Olson nature never satisfied preaching the gospel, Jesus Christ satisfies, but it knocks me out of the way. And it's not about us anymore. It's about him. Well, he says, so they went, they were scattered. That unfortunate thing that happened to Stephen, not at all, is what caused the gospel to spread. And it tells us here News of these things came to the ears in the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Now you remember, Paul the apostle went to Antioch to escape the persecution of the Jews as he converted to Christianity when he was laid out on the road on the way to Damascus to persecute Christians. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus said to him, and he said, who are you, Lord? He goes, I'm the one you're kicking against. And the Bible says he got up, was led by the hand into Damascus, where he met a man named Ananias. Not the high priest, but a man named Ananias. And he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. They laid hands on him. Scales fell off his eyes. He was filled with the Spirit. Doesn't say that he talked in tongues at that particular time. I think that's significant. Later on, we know he prayed in tongues. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But at that time, something like scales fell off his eyes. Now, what's weird about this is that the Christians didn't trust him and the Jews, because he he traded on him, didn't like him. So he went to Antioch for about 11, 12 years. He was on the backside of the wilderness, God preparing him for what was going and how God was going to use him in his life. And so it says <clears throat> that they were they were encouraged to continue with the Lord. Verse 24, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. So on his way, he went to Tarsus from Antioch to find Saul. This is where, again, Saul went. Uh, was to Tarshish, and that's where he was from. Oftentimes you'll hear Saul of Tarsus. That's where, uh, he, he was at. And he was born there, and he was born a natural Roman citizen. Now some people in those days could buy their citizenship, but Paul was natural born. That's gonna come in to play later on in Paul's life. And so it says, and when they found him, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for the whole year, they assembled with the church and taught uh, a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Wow. Now the word Christians was really not a flattering term. It would be like calling somebody a Jesus freak or a little Jesus The word Christian does not mean Christ-like. The word Christian means little Jesus. They were Jesusites. Look at them over there. That's what they are. That's their thing. That's what they do. It's interesting that because of their lifestyle, they were identifiable as Jesusites, Jesus freaks. Now, I remember back again, going back I try to bring some of you young people, give you a little bit of Jesus history here. But you go back and, you know, they always say, well, uh, you know, look at the Jesus freaks, Jesus freaks. You know, you always heard that term. And um, everybody's a freak to somebody. Whose freak are you? And when you look at the world and people that pattern themselves off after the trends and the fads of the world and things become, you know, everybody's trying to be Gucci. Well, who do you follow? Everybody follows somebody. Somebody came up to me one time and they said, you mean to tell me you base your life off of everything the Bible says? And I said, well, by the nature of your question, you base your life on something. What do you base your life on? And all of a sudden, the accuser now has to think about what gives them a basis for their life. What lights your fire? What turns you on? What causes you to put your shoes on in the morning to get out the door? Everybody has something that motivates them. Now, again, going back to the power of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. So important. And I can't stress it enough that we need to walk in the Spirit. We hear that. But walking in the Spirit is different than walking in the flesh. Walking in the flesh says, I got it. I got it my way. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation. But I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. Walking in the Spirit says, Lord, what do you want me to do for you today? And God changes us as people from a worldview of secularism to a worldview of Christianity and evangelism. There's a big difference. What causes a person to be? Okay, so he says, amen. Um, He says, so he, he found them and brought them there uh, to the church. Verse 27 In these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch one of them named Agabus stood up, showed by the spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Now this was brought on by climate change because they didn't have electric chariots Wrong. The religion of climate change. Let's talk about that for just a second. Because here you find a famine, global famine. Right here it says. It happened during the time of Joseph. Remember when he interpreted Pharaoh's dream? Said there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of drought. Now, of course, they were out there trying again, once again, to get those get those oxen uh, electrified so they wouldn't be polluting. When they cut down the great sequoias in California... And the rings in the trees, some years, some decades, were very wet. They have very wide rings. Others, where there was a lot of drought, they're very narrow rings together. Do you know that climate change has been going on ever since the flood? The Bible says the world was once covered by a vapor canopy. Probably very much like a greenhouse. It was warm. This is why we find the animals that no longer could live in the new environment after the flood died off. But one of the things you have to look at, if you really look, and they're not being honest. Climate change, the religion of climate change, what happened in Egypt a couple of weeks ago, where they went up and they broke the Ten Commandments of climate change on the Mount Sinai. This is all true, everybody. I'm not making it up. As they fly into Egypt with their big jets, dumping more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere than towns in Kansas do, the hypocrisy of the climate change people is outrageous and it is a lie. You know, the Bible tells us who set the water levels of the earth. The Bible says God did, not climate now we have to go back and look at a few things here because where do they get their data from? If it rains too much, it's climate change. If there's not enough rain, it's climate change. Look what's happening. We're having a near normal winter this year. The the uh, mountains, uh, Donner Pass, and all have snow like they used to get years ago. Well, instead of saying, oh, it's 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 normal, climate change. See, it doesn't matter if there's a windstorm, it's climate change. If there's too much heat, it's climate change. If it's too much cold, it's climate change. See, all they keep telling is, and so you have to cut back. I was in school in the eighth grade, and I remember a teacher saying, we want to take and we want to redistribute the wealth of the world. And what we're, the way we're going to do it is we're going to do it through carbon tax credits. But we don't know. This is what the teacher, a far left liberal, he said, we don't know how we're going to sell this to the nations of the world because you're using Uganda's clean air for your manufacturing. So therefore, this rich nation that manufactures needs to give Uganda uh, 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 money for using their air. And so it was called carbon tax credits. They didn't know how to sell it till it came up with the idea of climate change. They have been, this has been a slow train coming, everybody. But remember, there's a world religion during the tribulation. And the Antichrist is the one that homogenizes Islam, Christianity, Islam, all the other religions of the world into one. And I'm sure climate change is going to be one of the spearheads for it. The Sequoias, when they cut them down, do not bear out climate change. The climate has always been changing. Do you realize that the Bible tells us that um, Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah, like the Lord's garden. It says this in Genesis. By the time of King David, it was a desert just was. During the Roman Empire, uh, around uh, the time Jesus was born, the northern plains of Africa was the bread belt for the Roman Empire. You've got to remember, the Roman Empire is a big place, a lot of soldiers, a lot of mouths to feed. And the northern plains of uh, uh, of Africa was their San Joaquin Valley. It's where everything was grown. But by three to 400 AD The climate had changed so much That now it's desert And this also contributed To the downfall of Rome So when we look at this We find it's been going on Ever since the flood The world is in Debo De-evolution Not evolution Going the other way and You say, Mike, why are you saying this? Why is this important? We need to be very careful as Christians not to get caught up in the lies of the world. The issue isn't climate change. The issue is world sin. Missing the best God has for you and realizing, and here's what's really important, that God brings judgment on those who rebel against him. This is what the global flood was over. This is what the, the fire that rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah was over. This is what all the way down through you find nations that God allowed. nation of Israel, for instance, was conquered by the Assyrians and by the Babylonians. Not because Assyria was better or not because the Babylonians were better. It's because Israel knew better and rebelled. To whom much is given, the Bible says... Much is required. And here God has blessed us and we attribute it to pure luck or some other thing. And I believe this is where we get into real trouble. Agabus comes along and says there's going to be a big famine. Now, this is the word of prophecy. Now again, prophecy is important when you understand the picture of the Bible. God knows more about tomorrow than you remember about yesterday. And when we understand that there was a prediction of a famine, the idea is that they would prepare for it. We find it mentioned many times in the Bible about famines that were going to come. Well, here you find Agabus stood up And shown by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world. Which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. So it actually ties it down very well. So notice, the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. And as they did, and sent it with the elders by the hands of Barnabas... And Saul. So Barnabas and Saul were the ones that carried responsible for getting the relief to a different group of people. Friends, that's love. It's normal to take care of your own. It's not normal to take care of what you once believed. Now remember, to the Jew, the Gentile was untouchable. They were filthy. They were defiled. Even the woman at the well, who was a half-breed, she was a Samaritan, says, How is it, Jesus, you being a Jew, speak to me, a Samaritan? We don't have dealings one with another. According to some of the rabbinical law, The Bible said, or not the Bible, but they would say that if you were walking downtown and your coat flipped open and you were in the marketplace and your coat tail hit a Gentile's, you'd need to go to the temple and seek forgiveness. That's how they were looked down upon. But now you find this group of people that were not liked is now sending relief to the very people that at one time didn't love them. Friends, that's God. That's what God does. God changes our perspective. Now, how does he do that? I think it's a real important question. I believe God does it in many different ways. Now, one of the things, when the Bible says you see somebody overtaken in a fault, what does it say? You go up and lop their head off. No, it doesn't say that. If you see somebody overtaken in a fault, considering yourself, you go and offer assistance to that person. Considering yourself. You see, all of a sudden, God takes us from a narrow point of view, myself, to others in how what I want somebody to minister to me? You see, I believe that works in no matter what aspect we're in. Whether you're witnessing to somebody in a cult, somebody that doesn't even know who God is, or somebody that just needs a long note. When we reach out to people where they're at in love, considering ourselves, how would you want somebody to treat you? If you were in a cult right now, let's just say you you believe that uh, believing in your belly button and the third eye in the middle of your forehead got you to heaven. Let's just say that. How would you want somebody to talk to you about Jesus? Well, here, you're so dumb. Watch this, and it'll straighten you out. Is that the way we want some? No. Let's say, hey. I understand, you know Paul the Apostle he goes to a place called Mars Hill and there he sees all these statues to all these gods now I'm sure it was probably right next to a Starbucks where all the philosophers of the day came together drank coffee and philosophized and psychedelicized about all stuff going on and he came to him, and there was a group of people there and he says I see you are all very religious people because they had all these statues and everything. And he said, you have this one to the unknown God. He goes, this is the one I want to tell you about. Now, I think it's interesting. He didn't say, you bunch of dumb idol worshipers. He didn't do that. He said, you have this one to the unknown God. He, you see, they were so pantheistic. They believed in so many gods that in just in case they might have missed one. You know, they had Jupiter and, you know, Mercury and all these Zeus and Hermes and all these other. We don't want to offend any God that's out there. So just in case, we'll make this one to the unknown God. So that way, you know, hey, we didn't know who you were. They're not sure. Okay. Paul goes, this is the one I want to tell you about. And he begins to reason With them. You see. You know my time is money. And I've got no time to spend. So when you got some business. Won't you come on by again. I think a lot of times as Christians. We have that philosophy. It takes time sometimes. To work with your children. To come into the kingdom. It takes some time to work with your brothers or sisters or parents that aren't saved to come into the kingdom of God. I remember an illustration that a pastor gave me years ago. He said, a lot of people minister like apple pie. He said, you walk up to somebody and you say, would you like some apple pie? And they go, well, I don't know. What is it? Let me show you. They slide the pie out of the box and like a Three Stooges movie, shove it right in his face. What'd you think? I don't think I liked it at all. And I don't think I like you either. But you know, if you take the time and take out a little knife and cut it up and give him a fork and put it on the plate. He said, you can feed him the whole pie. Oftentimes, because we don't want to take time we're shoving it in people's face rather than explaining to them their need for Christ. You see, Jesus knows the gift that you need. It ain't a lump of coal. It's that he knows you need his spirit. Now, what does his spirit do? It gives us love for God, and it gives us love for the lost. And every other aspect of the manifestations of the Spirit come from love. And makes the difference. So again, as we oftentimes get in a hurry, we don't understand why our kids are acting the way they are. You know, the Bible says you just keep loving them as best you can. That doesn't mean you approve of what they're doing. But that means, hey, I'm here for you. I love you. And if you ever want to talk, I'm here to talk to you. Because you see, there's going to come time in their life. And Invisible Holy Spirit will arrange that time in their life so that they will come to you and talk to you. But if we don't let them understand, I always have time for you. I think all of us can think back how valuable that time was when mom or dad spent time with us. Whether it was holding your hand crossing the street, or whether you skinned your knees and your mom picked you up and held her, that time she spent with you was so valuable. Remember, that's what touches people. That you're more important to me than things. You're more important to me than stuff. And the gift you need is love. Friends, I believe that changes everything. And we're all so busy trying to find the perfect gift, only to be sold at a yard sale in July for 50 cents. We're so much better off to say, you know, Lord, show me what you want me to do. And the greatest gift that God could ever give us was himself. Now, the greatest gift you can ever give is yourself to them. But you see, that requires us to be a little less selfish and more like him. This morning, if you find yourself in a famine in your life, Remember, God has touched people to come and minister to you. Just like we just read here. Completely different race of people, group of people, Gentiles now ministering to the Jews. That's what God does. People are believing so many crazy things out there. And what they need is Jesus. And what a better time to tell people about the Lord than this time of the year. When people are a little more sensitive to things spiritual than maybe any other time of the year. We talked about this before. Most likely Jesus was not born on the 25th of December, but there's a chance of one in 365 or six that he was. But what's important is that Jesus was born. And we pick that time. You know, I've had people say, well, it's a pagan holiday. It's this, it's that. And they go on and on and on. And I go, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of the tomb of the unknown soldier? Yes. Do they know who's inside the tomb of the unknown soldier? No, Thus, the name, the tomb of the unknown soldier. And yet we give that great honor because it represents the soldiers that fell and some of those not named. Christmas Day is a day that we recognize that something monumentous in a world happened where God gave us himself. And I believe, friends, that's the most important thing this morning. If you don't know Jesus if you're tired of just serving yourself and you've just come up with the the conclusion, I can't get no satisfaction if I tried, I just want to invite you to come into the family of God today. The Bible says to repent of our sins, accept Him as Savior. And the Bible says God supernaturally, unbelievably moves into us. I don't know why. You know, the funny thing, the Bible says God will not dwell in buildings made with men's hands I always see the emphasis in religions and their 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 focus on their temples whether in Asia or Salt Lake or here or anywhere else the Bible says he will dwell in you, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and you know what there's not a better building, a better design a better anything than you to hold the heart of God This morning, if you're tired of just living your life mundane, what do you want for Christmas? I don't know. You want a lump of coal? No, I don't want that. What do you want? I don't know. I want something. Something that's going to change my life. Something that's going to give my life meaning and purpose. Something that will cause me to move away from the life that I've been living. I'll have a new life. That's what I want, a new life. Gosh, what I want, a new life. That's what George Bailey said. I didn't have a new life. But that's what you need. This morning we're going to pray and you can ask Christ to come into your life. And he'll change you. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I invite you into my life today. I repent of the foolish way that I have lived. Thinking that I could bring happiness to myself by something I do. I know now it only comes through you. Change my heart. Change my life. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and his blood covered my sins. And he rose from the dead to give me life every day. So now fill me with your Holy Spirit, that gift that changes everything. And thank you for writing my name in your book of life. In Jesus' name.